If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to be at the end of the first chapter of Mark today and into the second chapter. Um, For those of you who are new or maybe you just don't know me, I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest. And I'm excited today to be opening up the Word of God to this passage because it is one of my favorite in the Bible. So open up to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Couple things today here before we start. First, as you know, if you've been with us, we're going through Mark and it is biblical narrative. All right, something neat about biblical narrative is this is you can get your imagination into it, all right? So it's what I want you to do today, is I want you to kind of try and put yourself into these scenes that we're going to be going through, all right? So, so close your eyes if you need to. I won't make fun of you, maybe just a little, all right? Close your eyes if you need to, and try to put yourself into these scenes. Try to imagine what it would have been like to be there and to be seeing this. And to be hearing what was going on, okay? Do that with me today. All right, who is the main character in Mark? Jesus, right? And today we're going to see a couple ways that Jesus is interacting with people. We're going to see two different scenes, all right? We're going to see how he's demonstrating his authority and how he's progressively revealing who he is and why he has come. But there's something else a little cool about this passage. We're going to see a lot of different people in these two scenes. And each of them is going to be responding to and approaching Jesus in their own way. So as we go through today, in your notes, be writing down every time somebody new comes on scene, just write down like how Jesus is responding to them and approaching them and how they are approaching Jesus. And it's really cool at the end to look back and see how this all comes together. So do that with me. All right, let's dig in. Mark chapter 1. Let's go back a verse and let's start in verse 39. It says, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40. And a leper came to him. Stop. You're like, oh boy, it's going to be a long day. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. All right. And a leper came to him. This is huge. Okay. This is big and we have to get this first. Uh, this is a man uh, Luke describes as a physician in his gospel. He describes him as full of leprosy. Okay. So, so don't think of this man as someone that just came down with a rash today and is coming to see Jesus. This is a leper. Okay. Leprosy in the Bible uh, covers a wide variety of skin diseases, but symptoms would have been rashes, And open wounds, severe cases, caused your fingers to curl. Uh, Tumors on the outsides of your body, on the outside of your body. Disfigurement. Leprosy attacks the nervous system. So it's what it does. It causes you to lose your sense of pain. Which leads to even further disfigurement as you go throughout life. This disease didn't actually kill you. But it made you want to die. It's horrible. Leviticus chapter 13, if you're interested in looking into this a little further, um, talks about what a leper is supposed to do. It says he's supposed to tear their clothing. They're supposed to grow their hair out in kind of this perpetual state of mourning. They're to have no contact with anyone. They're ceremonially unclean under the law. 
Leviticus says, you shall live alone outside the camp. And most of the time, that's what lepers did. They lived alone or they lived in leper colonies that were outside of the towns and the cities and the camps. And many times is what they would do is their family members would pick a spot outside the city and they would take things there for the leper. And then later after they leave, uh, the leper would come and would get those things. But they could never have contact with them. Lepers were alone, isolated, outcast socially and physically rejected. Anytime they came near anyone, whether by accident or whether they had to come into the city for some reason, they had to cover their mouths and yell out, unclean, unclean. So that everyone had a chance to get away from them. Sometimes people would throw rocks at them to keep them further away or just, or just because. This disease was so bad that scripture often uh, uses it to symbolize sin in our life. And this would have been quite the scene. Okay, put yourself into this. This this is not like what so often we picture when we just kind of skim right through this passage. Okay, Jesus didn't just happen to bump into a leper and be like, oh, look, a leper. That's not what's happening here. This leper is coming to Jesus. And remember, the crowds are coming to him. So, so imagine this crowd just parting as this leper's walking towards Jesus. Maybe people are throwing rocks at him. Maybe your people are like, Jesus, stay away from the leper. Meanwhile, he's got his hand over his mouth. And he's going, unclean! Unclean! And a leper came to him, imploring him, begging him, pleading him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This man comes to Jesus with the proper attitude and in the proper position. He's desperate. He's hopeless. He's alone. He has nowhere else to go. And he comes to Jesus and humbles himself before him and falls on his face in front of him and says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He's desperate. I have a question for us to ask ourselves this morning. Am I desperate for Jesus? Am I desperate for Jesus? Ask yourself, is my life characterized by desperation for Christ? Or am I doing just fine on my own? This man knew what it meant to be desperate. And he demonstrates it. By his position before Jesus. I want to encourage some of you. Who are here today. Who might be in a season. Of particular desperation. Some of you are battling. And are desperate physically. And you're battling disease. Or illness. 
and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're desperate from the battle. Some of you are desperate financially and you're like, I don't know how we're going to pay our bills. I don't even know how I'm going to get groceries this week. Some of you uh, are desperate in your marriages. And you're like, I don't know what to do. It's falling apart. Lord, I need you. Some of you are desperate spiritually. And you're like, I've grown dull to God. And, and I don't know why. And I'm desperate. I want to encourage you today. Don't allow your desperation to turn to frustration with God. In your brokenness and your pain and your desperation, continue to cry out to God. Continue to come to the one who is sovereign over all and lean on him and be desperate for him. And ask him for help and for healing while saying, your will be done. I want to challenge all of us this week. Try to foster in your life desperation for Christ daily. This week, find a time and get on your knees. Just get on your knees. Like, well, I don't have to be on my knees to pray. Okay, we know. But just find a time. This week and get on your knees. You're like, well, I get on my knees. Okay, get on your face. Close the door to your room. Get on your face before God. I'm telling you, there's something that fosters desperation in Christ with assuming a physical position of humility to him. And then on your face, ask him to make you always daily, desperately dependent on him. Face down. And that's how we find this leper. Face down in front of Jesus saying, if you will, you can make me clean. In verse 41, it says, moved with pity or moved with compassion here. Compassion is sympathy and concern for others. He says, moved with compassion. Jesus, he stretched out his hand and he touched him. What? Moved with compassion. Jesus here is demonstrating his compassion for people and his care for people. Uh, Pastor Doug talked about it last week when he, when he said, do you care? Do, do you care about people? Jesus cares about people. And he demonstrates that here by being moved to action because of his compassion. I ask another question today. Am I compassionate like Jesus? Am I compassionate like Jesus? Uh, not too long ago, I was with a group of guys, and we were downtown. And, uh, and there was a man sitting there beside us while we were waiting for the light. And, um, and he had a cardboard sign that said, uh, homeless, out of work, need food, need money. Okay, and I was just blown away in our group how quickly the conversation went to get a job. Like, seriously, this guy probably makes more money than I do. <laughs> His Mercedes is parked around the corner, you know, or, or, ah, oh, 
man, maybe I should take him a job application instead of giving him some money. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into the complications around, you know, how we should wisely give and not give. That's not the point. What I'd ask you today is to say, where is your heart at? When, when presented with people that are hurting, where does your heart initially go? Is it compassion and care? Or is it cynical and unloving? Jesus here demonstrates that he cares about people. I would say, ask ourselves, are we characterized by that type of compassion for others? Moved with pity, he stretches out his hand. Imagine this scene now, ready? Put yourself into this scene. This man comes to Jesus, this leper, desperate. And he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, saying, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus could have healed him any way he wanted to. He could have healed him with a thought, couldn't he? And instead he reaches out and he touches him. He does what? I can hear the gasps, like people going, what is he doing? And sometimes I think we wrongly think that this was the first time Jesus had ever seen a leper. He grew up with this disease. He knew what it involved. And knowing all of that, he reaches out and he touches him. What compassion. And these guys around him got to be like, what are you doing you don't, don't do that. You can't do that. Jesus is like, just did. And he touches this man. Like, You're going to be now ceremonially unclean. And just think about this leper. Isolated, desperate, alone. Possibly years removed. From the touch of another human let alone a loving touch. I'm gone for a couple days and coming home and being able to embrace my wife and my children is such a wonderful experience. Now imagine this man removed from touch and the son of God laying his hand on him. And he touched him and he said, I will be clean and immediately... The leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Okay, here's, here's what's happening. It's immediately the leprosy is leaving him. So it's, this nat- it's not this natural process, all right? It's not this, uh, this, this like, hey, uh, uh, thanks for coming to see me today. Um, you can come back for a second visit next week. All right, that's not what's happening here. It's supernatural. It's boom or bam. Immediately. He's healed. There we go. Jesus in an instant demonstrates his authority over disease and his compassion and his love for people. And I love this here. It's, he says, I will be clean. So be clean. He's commanding. He's literally commanding dirty to be clean. Do you see the hope in that? There's some of you here that maybe this is, maybe you've been here a few times, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been here for years. 
and you're not a follower of Christ. And you're like, you don't understand. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how much I've doubted. You don't know how dirty I am. Good news. We're all dirty. And Jesus is in the business of making dirty things clean. And praise the Lord. There's no excuses. Come to Jesus today. Let's go on. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him. And sent him away at once. At once there is a, it's a, it's a tricky bam. It's immediately. Alright, it's the same thing. So at once. And he said, and he said, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. So what's happening here? Jesus is sternly charging him. So he's saying, hey, don't go tell anyone. What, what is this? Well, there's a lot of debate about what this is and why Jesus is doing this. And it actually even has a fancy uh, smart person title called the uh, Messianic Secret. Okay, it's like, do, do, do. All right, it's like, what is Jesus doing? All right, basically this. Here's what I think is happening here. Jesus is making it a point to say, I am here for a specific purpose. Shh. It's not what you think it is. All right, I'm here for something you don't get yet. I'm not here to overthrow a government. I'm, I'm not here to just heal physical illness. Okay, I'm here for something greater, and in my time, I'll reveal what that is. And that's what's going on here. And then he, and then he goes on, and he tells him, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded you. Okay, remember Leviticus 13, where it talked about uh, what a leper was supposed to do. Well, Leviticus 14 talks about if a leper is healed, the process that they're supposed to go through to be renewed back into community um, after they've been healed. And that's what he's telling him to do. So he's basically saying, follow the law, go show yourself, go do the things you're supposed to do. And verse 45 is awesome. But he went out, the man that had been healed, but he went out and he began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. In the Greek, it's proclaiming, all right? He's shouting it from the rooftops so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. And people were coming to him from every quarter so from everywhere all right so what's happens jesus tells this man don't tell anyone and then he goes out and he tells everybody all right you're like oh no he's like do you think jesus like my plan is ruined (laughs) what's going on it's like no jesus made a specific point by telling him don't tell anyone and then this guy does what's natural he he disobeys and he goes out and tells everyone it's like i can't even keep my kids I'm telling my wife what she's getting for her birthday. All right. And this guy has been healed and he's going out and he's proclaiming it. And people would have known this man. And now he's running around the countryside as a living, breathing spectacle for the glory of God. Just like we are. And Jesus has revealed himself in this scene as the compassionate healer who has authority over all disease. Scene one, over, moving on to scene two. Chapter two, let's look at verse one. 
And when he returned to Capernaum, home base, after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. All right, there's a lot going on right here. First, back at the beginning, uh, he's come back to Capernaum in verse 1 there. So home base, he's back home. And what's happening? Word is spreading, right? Jesus has been healing people and casting out demons and preaching. And people are like, who is this guy? We've got to find out what's going on. And they find out he's home and word is spreading. And so they come together. And they come together and they're gathered in this house. And it is packed. Okay? It is full. And this would have been a home. Probably probably get about 50 or 60 people into one of these homes. And it's spilling out through the doorway and into the streets. And this is an event. It's a big deal. This would have been one of those events where you show up to it and you're like, man, I should have brought tickets just so I could scalp them. All right? This is a big deal. The whole town is coming out to see what's going on. Jesus is here. And then we see he's inside. And what is he doing? He's preaching. Remember earlier in Mark, what he said he was going to go around doing? He was going to go around preaching. And he's preaching the good news. And earlier we see what he was preaching. He's probably preaching, repent and believe. And then the scene gets even more interesting. There's a paralytic. There's this paralyzed man. And, and there's four men. There's probably a few people, but four guys step up to the plate and they're like, we need to get this guy to Jesus. Like, the paralytic's like, I need to get to Jesus. And the thing is, it's interesting. It's based on some things later. I'm not sure what his initial reason for wanting to see Jesus was. It may not have even been the fact that he was paralyzed and wanting to be healed from that. Not sure. But the fact is, is we have a paralytic. We have four guys. They're like, we got to get him to Jesus. So they're down the street. They see the crowd spilling out. They try to get near the door and they can't. So what do they do? They're like, somebody has the bright idea of let's go on the roof. Now, the houses at this time would have had this flat rooftop. And there would have been some type of staircase attached to the outside or a ladder of some type that was going up to the roof so they would have had rooftop access so these guys are like let's get him to the roof and they picked him up probably by the four corners and it says he's on his bed it was probably some type of stretcher looking thing that they would have had and they get this guy onto the roof and once they get up there they start digging a hole in the roof now this is a scene imagine people crowded inside and you're going to find out here in a minute the super religious people were in there And all of a sudden, the hole starts opening up in the rooftop. And stuff's falling down on top of them. Okay, And they're like, what's going on? Imagine there is some speculation that this was Simon Peter's house. Imagine what he's doing. Like, are you kidding me? They're ripping a hole in my roof. Somebody get these crazy guys off of there. And And stuff's falling everywhere. I mean, this would have been a spectacle. And I can just picture Jesus standing there smiling like, that's what I'm talking about. Alright, so this, this is a big deal. These men are basically like, we are going to stop at nothing to get this man to Jesus. Question for us today. Am I bringing people to Jesus? Am I bringing people to Jesus? 
Now, it's important to note right off the bat, we know, right, that we don't save anybody. It's all God's work. And praise the Lord, there's such rest in knowing that God draws and God saves. But his chosen means of spreading the good news is through his word, carried and proclaimed by his people. And these people are saying, we're bringing people to Jesus. Romans 10, one of my favorite passages outside of this, says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Years ago, I, uh, I worked at a Lowe's Home Center when I was in college. Now, those of you who know me are like, that's funny because he doesn't have a handy bone in his body. I have no idea how to fix anything. And yes, I worked at a Lowe's. And you're like, hmm, the guy that helped me redesign my bathroom. Did he know what he was doing? I don't know, but I didn't. Okay? And I worked in the paint department and in electric, which is really bad. Okay? But it was, it was a good job. But one of the things that was interesting working there is what you spend most of your time doing is telling people where to find stuff. I mean, you don't really help people redesign bathrooms much. It's just like, you know, hey, where are the sponges? And you're like, oh, hey, over here. You know, and someone will walk in and they'll have this, this screw or this nail that is so obscure. And they've pulled it somewhere out of their house. And they're like, yes, I realize there are about a million nails in this place. But where's this one? You know, and your job is to help them find that. And they hammered into us. They said, don't do this. Don't be like, oh, that screw. Well, it's what you need to do is that's going to be in our hardware department. So go down here till you see aisle 32. You're going to take a right on aisle 32. You're going to take, oh, I don't know, three or four or five, maybe six steps. About knee high on your left-hand side, you're going to see three or four boxes of screws. I think it's in there. They're like, don't do that. Like instead, come to that person and be like, oh, I, I think I know where that is. Here, come with me. I'll show you. Okay? We do the same thing with our greeting teams here, which, by the way, so thankful for all those of you who serve on a regular basis on our weekend teams. Okay? We've got people in the children's area, in the parking lot, greeting you as they come in the door, the cafe workers, everyone, ushers, you name it. Thank you. They work hard on your way out today. Hug a greeter. Okay? Thank them. But one of the things that we tell them is like, we're kind of we're like, watch for new people. And some of you, if you're new today, you're like, you get this. Because you can tell most of the time. Because here's what happens. The new person walks in, they get a couple steps in the door, and then they stop and go, like, where am I? Where do I go next? What do I do? Ah, turn around and run. Okay, that's what they're doing. And we tell our greeters, we're like, hey, watch for that. That's a new person. And then go get them. And then go over there and be like, oh, I see you have children. Well, we have a children's ministry. Are you going to put them in the children's ministry today? And they're like, well, yes, we would. All right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, you can't see it now, but if you wade your way through this crowd and get to the other side, you'll see some computers. They're, they look confusing. They're not. Just figure them out. Throw a sticker on the back of your kid. The glass doors, there's people in there that love kids. Chuck them in there and run. Okay? We're like, no, don't do that. If you're a greeter here today, don't do that. All right? Instead, we're like, no, no. We're like, oh, you have kids, children's ministry. Here, come with me. I'll bring you there and I will show you what you're supposed to do. 
right? Makes sense? Do you see the difference between the two? I have been so often guilty, and I think we sometimes are so often guilty, of giving directions to Jesus and not bringing people to him. See, a lot of times we approach evangelism like it's a formula, like A plus B plus C equals someone is saved. Ta-da! And instead is what I'm saying is, I'm saying grab a stretcher, rip a hole in the roof, and bring someone to Jesus. So you're like, okay, so what does this look like practically? Like what are some things practically in my life? Here, here's some ideas. So someone's interested um, in coming to church. You'd be like, man, you should go to church. Go to church. Instead, say, you know, hey, I attended an awesome church. How about you come with me this Sunday? It's at 9. I'll pick you up at 8.30. It's, it's instead of saying someone that has questions about the Bible, instead of saying, uh, get a Bible. You need a Bible, man. Read it every day. Okay? It's saying, hey, I bought you this Bible. And, uh, and hey, I know you have off on Mondays. Why don't we, uh, why don't we meet on Mondays for coffee? And we're going to start going through this. We're going to find the answers to your questions. It's instead of saying, my neighbor is the most annoying person on the planet. Uh, he's, he's just odd and he's kind of mean and his grass grows to like three feet tall and weird critters come out of it into my yard. And then when he mows it, he sprays stuff everywhere. And there's this yard gnome like, but you know, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to tell him about Jesus. So I'll smile and love my enemy and pretend like, no, instead of that, it's like, you know what? Actively try to show him Jesus. Oh, he's having trouble keeping up with his lawn. I'm going to go help him mow his lawn. It's like, well, while I'm over here, hey, uh, I'm going to talk to you and listen to you and maybe invite you over for to grill out hot dogs with me and my wife. Or, hey, where'd you get the yard gnome? You know? You see, you see the difference? It's, a, it's instead of saying, uh, I'll pray for you as you have surgery tomorrow and then not praying for them. It's instead saying, you know what? I knew you were having surgery tomorrow. So I went to my boss and he said I could have a couple hours off this morning. How about if it's okay with you if I meet you up at the hospital and I pray with you before surgery? You see in the difference? You see how one is giving directions to Jesus? It's like, hey man, oh wow, you're paralyzed. Uh, you need Jesus. You know what? There's a big gathering going on and he's, and he's preaching over there. You should really go Go see him and get there. Instead, you're saying, hey, I'll show you Jesus. No matter what it takes. It's, it's relationship. It's life on life. It, it's motivated out of love for someone and care for someone. You're like, well, I'm not a theologian. And I'm not very outgoing. Not necessary and not necessary. Pick up a stretcher. Rip off a roof. And show somebody Jesus. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, that's interesting, in verse 5 there, and Jesus saw their faith, all of them, the paralytic and the men, he said to the paralytic, son, a term of endearment, child, your sins are forgiven. What? Why does he go there? I don't know, but he does. Verse 6, now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. All right, here come the scribes. Enter stage left or stage right, whichever way you're supposed to enter. Here come the scribes. 
We're going to see a lot more of the scribes and the Pharisees as we go through Mark. And the tension between them and Jesus is going to continue to get greater and greater. Basically, what we need to know as they're introduced today is these are the experts in the law. These are the religious guys. And they're in there. And they're questioning. And they're asking questions and being critical what they're very good at. And I've, I read some commentaries in preparing for this, and a lot of the guys suggested, you know, hey, these are probably your guys that are sitting up in the front row, like, taking notes. And I disagree. I think these guys are the guys sitting there going, all right, tell me something I don't know. Come on. Come on. Oh, Leviticus again? You're preaching on that? I've got it memorized. Seriously? Challenge me. That's who these guys are. Okay, they're the critics. Not only that, but they're cowardly critics. If you notice, they're thinking to themselves. They're questioning in their hearts. All right, they're not even saying it out loud. They're thinking it. And I I will confess, I struggle at times with sinning in this way and being a critic and being too often critical when I shouldn't, especially even in a cowardly way. But these guys, they had it down to a fine science. I mean, here they are ripping a hole in the roof, and they're like, seriously, ripping a hole in the roof? At least use the right tools, you know? Listen, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy or that, or that gal. Don't be the one that's sitting there and criticizing while someone is tearing a hole in the roof to bring somebody to Jesus. You're going to miss out. Or worse. Hinder the gospel. They're tearing a hole in the roof. Grab a tool and help them. And they're sitting there questioning in their hearts why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Blasphemy is profane language concerning God, it's claiming to be able to do something that only God can do. It's a big deal. In the Old Testament, it's punishable by death. Says he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Good question. Wrong spirit. Good question. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questions within themselves, said to them, So Jesus is reading their minds. I mean, come on, what other proof do you need? It's like, here I am being critical, and Jesus is like, Oh, yeah, I know what you're thinking. He said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? Neither is easier, right? (laughs) They're both divine work. One's physical, one's spiritual, one kind of invisible, the other visible. And basically Jesus is like, you know what, I'm going to do both. And here's why, verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Couple things here. Son of Man, you see Jesus referring to himself in this way. It's his favorite title for himself in Mark. And you're going to see it quite a bit more. I believe it's referring back to Daniel chapter 7, where it talks about the Son of Man coming on the clouds. <laughs> Who does that? <laughs> God? The Messiah? It's also alluding here to both his humanity and his divinity. 
100% God, 100% man. And he doesn't explain it, but he does refer to himself by it. And he says, so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So basically he's like, this guy is going to walk out of here today on his own two feet as a testimony to my authority to both physically heal and spiritually heal. My authority spans it all. This is huge. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus here is progressively revealing in Mark who he is and why he has come. He hasn't come to overthrow governments. He hasn't come to just physically heal. He's come for another reason. And, and I know we're going through Mark little by little here. But we've seen the end of the story, haven't we? We know why Jesus came. And it had everything to do with him dying. And with redemption. If you're uh, one of the communion servers, if you could go ahead and go to your spots. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body of Christ eats and drinks judgment on himself. Today we're going to spend a few minutes remembering what it was that Jesus did for us. Remembering why it was that he came. And if you're a follower of Christ, and you have received that message that Jesus came preaching and repented of your sins and believed in Jesus and given your life to him, we invite you today to partake in communion with us. We're going to spend a few minutes examining ourselves and then remembering what it was that he did for us. And as, uh, as we remember that and as uh, Jill plays, we're going to, uh, as you are ready, you can come up to the front here or you can go back to the back, whichever one, and get the bread and the juice and then come back to your seats and then we're going to come back together. We're going to partake together and remember.